0: welcome into another sun city story here i am mike tipton today my guest joining me the one and only the legendary rick kern uh of all kinds of band fame i mean it, there's a lot of stuff that rick kern has done but uh you sir are going to be launching a podcast coming up soon can hey, you let the people know what the podcast is
1: yeah it's uh you know it's kind of an extension of uh things that i've been doing for the last several years i had uh, oh uh a blog site that I started back in around 2007 and hooked up with a lot of my old friends, musician friends from way back and, you know, and, and it just kind of gravitated towards something else that needed to happen. And my wife said one day, you know, you're bringing all these friends together. Why don't you uh, do a, a concert, you know, bring some of these old bands back to El Paso and see how that goes. And I, so we tried it, you know, we did one and 2009 at the lancer's east out on the you know east side of town and it went really well a lot of people liked it the musicians liked playing for it the audience they just loved it and i mean we had like my old buddy joe gomez from utep you now he was sitting on the front row and, and he, and, you know he, you must be doing something right when you see a an old man crying because he's seeing the old bands that he used to see up on stage again and so it was really a neat thing. So, yeah, I, I I did that for eight years. We we did our last in 2016. Rod Crosby uh, was my co-producer. And, uh, you know, it it went really well. And so I thought, now let's move on. You know, we're all kind of hunkered in our homes, you know, with all this COVID stuff going on and everything. I thought, why not just start a podcast, you know? People need things to do while they're cleaning out their closets and garage and stuff while they're home. So uh, here we are, you know, I, I'm, I'm thinking about really getting it going. I've got some equipment ordered and then, uh, you know, and here I am with you today doing some, my first, uh, first live, um, you know, video of uh, of my intention to do this podcast. It's going to be called Talking Rock Radio and uh, i pretty excited about it.
0: So what is it that people would be able to expect from the podcast? As you said, talking rock radio, that kind of opens itself up to a lot of different things there. What, what could people expect whenever they finally tune in?
1: Well, that's a good question. You know, I, initially I was going to keep this thing geared primarily towards musicians, you know, guys that I've played with through the years and, and, uh, and guys that I grew up knowing and not necessarily played with them, but knew them very well and knew their bands and went out and, and, and got to know their bands real well. And and I got to thinking, well, you know, why not do a show that brings back the memories and the stories and the anecdotes of uh, that people, you know, want to, you know, these band members want to share. They want to share their stories and their history. And, and I thought, you know, nobody's doing this in El Paso. But then a lot of people don't know the knowledge of the old bands and everything, but yet there's still a lot of people out there that that want to hear it they they miss the stories you know the a lot of these musicians left El Paso and and I'm still connected to a lot of them you know and so as long as I can be able to offer that you know bring you know bring it out in a in the form of a podcast and let people hear the stories that these musicians uh, want to tell and I'm sure some of them won't be, uh, very good to put on the podcast because it may get us shut down real quick. So <laughs> we got to be careful with our content, you know, but no, all kidding aside, I, uh, I think it'll be really something good for El Paso. And a lot of my friends that left El Paso want to, want to engage in, in this effort, in this endeavor. And, uh, and so I'm, I'm, I'm excited about doing it. You know, I, I we'll see how it goes. You know, it, it could be something that, uh, could really last a long time. You know, I've got quite a few episodes that I'm working on already as uh, some, some pretty interesting content. And, uh, you know, so while I wait for my equipment to get here and get some hands-on experience with it, which will happen in the next 30 days, I've got some coming in on Friday and, and, uh, and I'm ordering a, a special mic tomorrow that I'm really excited about. I just got off the phone with uh, uh, California a little while ago and talked to them some more about what it is I'm doing and and uh, so they're on board with me, so we'll we'll see, man. I'm all excited about it, Mike.
0: Talk and rock radio. I'm looking forward to that podcast because i I love history. and like I love the history here down in El Paso. like we have such a rich history and culture, but it seems like it's gotten buried in you know just an avalanche of a bunch of different stuff that we've got coming our way. Right. So I love the fact that you're, that you're going to highlight this and you, sir, are a part of all the music history that we've had here in El Paso, right?
1: (laughs) Well, you're kind. I, I, I do go back a few years with it. You know, I started out, um, as a youngster, um, playing in a garage band, you know, the neighborhood, typical neighborhood kids, you know, and, um, I, I always wanted to be a drummer, you know, and that'll be one of my episodes. Probably I may start out with that episode, you know, how how I was inspired uh, as a as a youngster. I was 13 years old and uh, I would I would go to the Skyline's Bowling Alley uh, on Thursday nights to watch my dad bowl. He was uh in the downtown lions club, but they had a bowling team that the club sponsored and they would go there on Thursday nights to the sky lanes bowling alley. And I would tag along. And, uh, and I, and I saw my very first, uh, concert that, well, I don't call it a concert. They were a local band that was playing in the, in the club. there called the little dipper lounge. And it was the Bobby fuller four. And I was just so excited about this group and, and, and how they sounded. They were just incredible, you know, and uh, I just, you know, without taking the wind out of the sail of my first episode, I'm going to, you know, kind of leave it with that. But it was that, that drummer that I saw that has become a dear friend of mine through the years. Dalton Powell is his name, and, and he inspired me you know, and, and I just told him the other day, you know, as as many years as I've known him, uh, we've never really talked that much about how he was my inspiration to become a drummer, you know? And so, um, that, that happened. I played with a lot of local bands and, uh, and then when I went to college, you know, at UTEP, I was in a band called the Basic Sound and that was formed by, uh, two of the guys that I met in the choir or the choral department at UTEP. And, uh, and we all decided let's put a band together, and we did. And we played six nights a week at the Knights Club, which was the Roadway Inn at Bassett Center at the time. And then they had another uh, uh, club out on Dyer at the, at the called the Jet Set at the Roadway Inn out there. And so we would some nights uh, play three nights out there, you know, and then three nights at the other club, and then sometimes six nights at one, you know. So it was. It kept me uh kept me going while I was in college, and uh, and and got to do what I really loved, and that was playing music and performing and and uh, just living it. You know, it was so great. And then after I got out of college, uh, my wife and I decided let's put everything we own into Beacon Storage, and we went on the road out to California, and and uh, that's another episode of my podcast but we uh we did it for six years my wife says well i you know i thought we were going to maybe just do this for five or six months that's what she told some of her friends but uh it ended up being six years and we uh we did like three tours of canada we toured all over the u.s uh the only part of the u.s we didn't really play in was about four or five of the new england states uh, in Hawaii, we didn't get to Hawaii, but we were all over the United States and uh, played with some, you know, billed with some big names, including Elvis, uh, Diana Ross, Isaac Hayes, Fifth Dimension, um, Jackson Five. We were billed on the same Sahara billboard sign in at the Sahara and Lake Tahoe. And that took place in uh, 1974. My band was only two weeks rehearsed with guys I'd never played with before. Uh, this is after our first band that went out there broke up and, uh, our agent loved us so much. She says, uh, you guys are ready to go play. And I guess it was just meant to happen. The voices sounded really good together. It was a pretty, pretty strong vocal group. And, uh, yeah, and went from there, and we just had a a good time on the road. We did it for a long time, and then I ended, eventually moved back to LA and hooked up with uh, one of the two guys that that were in my, uh, you know, in one of those groups, and we started another group, which was a second version of my tapestry band, and that one was uh, that was quite a quite a neat group that had some really super talented musicians in it. Uh, our guitar player, after that group disbanded, we were together about a year playing a lot of clubs in LA. And uh, after we disbanded, uh, our guitar player went to work for the Spencer Davis group, which was a very famous group of the sixties. And after that, Freddie Fender, he was his guitar player for uh, for a while. So the guys continued to do their thing. And uh, all of us have remained to be, somewhat in the music business you know uh the guitar player i was just telling you about is now the uh entertainment director at harrah's in san diego and so he gets to rub uh elbows with people like paul mccartney and foreigner and lots of big names and that that come and play the room that uh that they have there at, at Harris. so i stay in touch with these guys uh quite a bit um uh, we we you know we're we're like brothers you know we we loved what we did and we still love reminiscing and seeing how we're doing and all of that. So that's kind of what I'll be doing with the podcast.
0: Whenever you mentioned some of those names, like, especially, you know, early on with you, whenever you mentioned, you know, being on that same billboard with a name like Dana Ross or Elvis, was there like one of those moments where you sit there and you think back to yourself, I can't believe I'm here.
1: Yeah. Especially since we were only two weeks uh, rehearsed. <laughs> My uh, we had been rehearsing. I'd been driving from Newport Beach up to uh, Huntington Beach for like every day for like two weeks, uh, rehearsing in this in the keyboard player's living room. And uh, but we we learned real fast. I mean, we picked it up real quick and we were all singers. And uh, but it was it just came together so fast, Michael, that I just you know, when the agent came to hear us, you know, she said, you know. I'm ready to start booking you guys. And, but we d- had no idea that we were going to be going to the Sahara and Lake Tahoe. Uh, my, my wife, I, I called her that afternoon after we got the call from the agent. And I said, uh, how soon can we have everything packed? We're, we're going to go play a gig. She says, where are we going? And I said, the Sahara and Lake Tahoe, Nevada. And she said, uh, what? You're going to do what? I said, yeah, we're gonna be going over there. They had a, a band that had to leave, you know, that had that I guess there was medical issues or something, and so they had to cancel. And uh, and I said, Doris has got us booked in there and, and we're supposed to be there for a week. Well, we got there and I mean the first thing we see is Elvis on on the sign. You know, I thought, oh my gosh. Of course he was playing the big room. We were just playing the, the big lounge that over, you know, overlooked the the casinos. But uh, but that in itself was pretty exciting, though, you know, just to be doing that, you know, and uh, but they liked us so much that they held us over for six weeks. And uh, so we during that time, you know, Elvis was there the first week. And then I think after that, it was probably the Jackson five and we got to be really close with them. I mean, we were partying with them at night and went to clubs and danced with them and went back to their dressing room after their shows and mingled with them. I mean, Michael was only 14 then. But uh, Johnny Jackson, their drummer, I, I became really close with him. And uh, it, it was just a great experience. After that, I think it was Isaac Hayes, then Fifth Dimension, then Diana Ross. I think I, I hit all of them. Those were the ones that were there while we were there. But, yeah, seeing the name Tapasby up there on that sign, you know, uh, with, with the likes of those incredible performers. It, it was uh, pretty weird, man. Pretty nice, to answer your question. Yeah, it was, uh, it was an exciting time. And uh, I, I'm just glad to say that I was able to do it. And uh, we didn't get to know all of them, but we did get to know the Jacksons. And we did get to know uh, uh, when we met some of the others. I think I met uh, Isaac Hayes, but didn't really get to chat with him much. Elvis, we didn't get to know. You know, he he occupied the like the twelfth floor of the hotel, uh, all by himself. You know, and that was part of his deal. You know, when he when he was performing at a hotel, he would get the whole floor. That was part of his rider. You know, and for his protection and all of that. You know, so. But uh, but still, it was a uh, pretty neat.
0: You you speak of like your friendship that you developed with the uh, drummer for the Jackson Five, Johnny Jackson. I want to say what you said the name was whenever you look at like your, your Rolodex of people that you've become friends with and that, that, you know, you can like text them. I, I, I had to use a really old word there. Whenever I said Rolodex, I don't know when the last time someone had a Rolodex was But <laughs> like, uh, again, I, I, I know I look young. I'm not, I'm not that young. Um, so w- whenever you look at it, like your contacts in your cell phone, you go through that and you scroll through that. Is there a name there that kind of like pops out? You're like, wow, like th- this journey that I took allowed me to be friends with this individual.
1: You know, um, there is a guy, in fact, I mentioned to you earlier that I was on the phone with California today. Well, it was, this was the, the son of a, of a really dear friend of mine, and his name is Don Cloe. Don Cloe um, is not an everyday name that like Elvis or Isaac Hayes or, or you know Stevie Nicks or something like that. Don Cloe was the frontman for a band called Command Performance. And Command Performance was playing across the street from uh, the Sahara when we were performing there. And uh, and we, just out of curiosity, wanted to see what was going on over at, at, at Harrah's. So we would change our costumes from our show and, and put on street clothes and run across the street to check out this band called Command Performance. And I tell you what, Michael, it, it was like... It was the inspiration that really raised us to the next level. Yeah, we were playing at a great place. But after we saw that band and saw what a really great vocal show band is all about, I have to compare them to the likeness of, say, the Osmond Brothers, you know, whenever they were you know, young kids on the Andy Williams show back in the early days. This is going to be pre you But it was really that kind of quality to hear those kind of harmonies and they're kind of comedy, and they're and, and they they could tug at your heart, they could make you laugh, they could make you cry, they could engage the audience, and it was that that moment that that we just said, man, we want to be like them, and uh, and so you know I say this and I say it often that you you got to be careful what you wish for because sometimes things can happen. And, and, and for the right reasons. Uh, I think God is very, plays into this a whole lot. I, I I just, you know, when I met these guys, I thought, man, these guys are so incredible. I, I wanna be like them. I wanna play in the rooms like they play. I mean, and they were doing the version of what we were doing at Harris, and of course we're doing it at, at the Sahara, but I wanted all of our rooms to be like that. I, wanna, I want this to keep going. And so basically, it was about, I'm going to say within the year, I got a phone call one day from, from Don, uh, Chloe, the front man. And he says, Rick, we just lost our bass player, Guy Palette. He's going back to Quebec. Do you have any bass players that you can think that are out of work or need a gig? And I said, man, I've got the perfect guy for you all. He played in my very first band called the Sounds Royale Show. That was the band that left El Paso and went on the road. And and I said, this guy plays sax. He plays flute. He sings. He's a comedian. He plays bass. He plays some guitar. And he's a great front man. And so Don said, how do I get hold of him? They called him. They flew him to Cincinnati because they were there their recording uh, their, their next album. And uh, they got Wayne there. Wayne Mills is his name. They loved him. They hired him on the spot, and the rest is history. He became one of the members of the command performance. So the reason why I'm telling you this story is because it was soon after that that their agent Arnie Prager out of Chicago um, had talked to Don and them about my band, and they said, "Yeah, we performed with you know they were in Lake Tahoe when across the street and." We would love to perform with them. And so Arnie booked us to perform with command performance at the lit uh, it was called the Winnipeg Inn in Canada. And uh, the shows would start like four thirty in the afternoon. We would do a show, they'd do a show, we do a show, they'd do a show. And this went on till about twelve or you know twelve thirty at night. And uh, that was tremendous. To answer your question, Don Cloe is a guy that I talk to at least once or twice a week. Uh, he was amazing. You know, he was an incredible musician. He lives in Las Vegas still, and uh, he got out of the music business. Believe it or not, he's eighty-five years old, and he drives an eighteen-wheeler. And the guy, he just he makes good money driving the truck. Uh, he's not feeding his love for music by doing that but we talk all the time like you and I are doing right now about the old days and, and what it was like. And and he knows a lot of famous musicians and people like, you know, he knew the four freshmen and one of the rooms that we were going into when we were on the road was a, a place in Pennsylvania. And uh, it was a, a really neat club and the four freshmen were, coming in when we were leaving, and I would have given anything to just have an extra day or two to be able to go see those guys because we were doing some of their music in one of our medleys, and uh, which we learned from Command Performance. We uh, we kind of took their formula of doing an oldies medley, but we took our own version of, of or the, our own song choices from the same groups. Like we did one from the four freshmen like they did. They did the Andrews sisters, or no they did the McGuire sisters we did the andrews sisters and uh and we both did the mills brothers cuz that was real deep voices and then we would turn right around and do the the andrews sisters which are real high voices but uh that kind of showed our our vocal talent to two extremes low voices to high voices and uh back in those days we could sing like that not anymore <laughs> we got too many cobwebs in there now
0: uh, I- I guarantee you I've never hit a high note in my life.
1: (laughs) Oh, well, there's always a first, Michael. (laughs)
0: Uh, Well, maybe. maybe. I don't don't know if I've ever told you about my kid. I have an eight-year-old named Jericho, and he is an absolute giant. I guarantee you one day he's going to land on me, and I will hit (laughs) that
1: Yeah, well, that could happen for sure, man.
0: Uh, you were talking about, like, you know, going to Winnipeg and playing in you know Lake Tahoe and places like that. And before we get into you know the the nuts and bolts about El Paso's history with music and all that, i want I wanna know a little bit more about you. Which one of those areas would you say like out of all your travels is like that place where every time you went, the crowd was always electric?
1: Ooh, that's a good question. Uh, the clubs in California that we played, uh, there was one club that we grand opened with my very first band, the sounds Royale show. And that was one that Wayne was in and we had a girl. There was uh, there was four guys and a girl and, uh, and it was a, it was a room called Charlie Brown's. We grand opened that room. Uh, it's a, it was in Huntington beach. And, uh, and that was a room that people went there to see a show. It was a, and we played several rooms like that. You know, a lot of the rooms that we played, we didn't go back, you know, not for any particular reason, except that we were on the road. And so we were traveling all over all the time with with that that uh, second group I had called Tapestry. The first group was, we were based out of Orange County. And we just pretty much stayed there. We did play the Hyatt Regency in San Francisco. We played Del Webb's townhouse in in Phoenix. But the rest of the time we were doing things like the Disneyland Hotel, the New Porter Inn, uh, Charlie Brown's, uh, uh, several other chains that were out there. and, uh, and those were those were pretty, pretty cool and, and pretty consistent. The rooms, they, they would go there, and sit in front of you and want to watch a show, you know, or, or of course, there would usually, usually be a dance floor off to the side, so they could dance if they wanted to, you know, without disturbing the people that came to just sit and drink and watch, you know, but um, the rooms like in Lake Tahoe, you know, and, well, another one in Florida that we loved, it was the Marco Beach Hotel, uh, that was a showroom that was – really incredible they didn't have a dance floor it was just a, a real showroom and when i say shows i mean people are coming to be entertained not just hear music and dance like you know clubs in el paso pretty much are not they're not showrooms they're they're dance they're clubs okay and you usually go there to drink you know and pick up chicks you know i mean that's what the bars are for You know, I mean, back in the day, that's what we did. And they're still there for the same reasons, you know, but you you usually don't see shows per se. Now, I have to qualify that because I managed a group for about eight years here called PT and the Cruisers. And and they were more like a a show band or, you know, their music, very danceable in in all just about all the rooms they did their shows had show, you know, uh, had dance floors in them. So people could dance, but, uh, but, you know, in El Paso, you normally don't see bands that are typically a show band. And when I say show shows, usually entail medleys, they entail comedy routines. They, uh, they entail engaging with the audience. Um, and when I say engaging, I mean, really have their attention and uh, not saying that every room we ever played was a perfect room for that. You know, I can tell you some nightmare rooms that some of these agents put us in. Like there was one in Calgary, Canada. And, and the first, first thing that they said to us was, now, we don't want you drawing on the walls in your rooms or painting anything on the walls or whatever we're going, what, what are you talking about? I don't know what kind of groups they were used to booking in there, but we we were not one of those. You know, so uh, we uh, we had to play rock music all night because that's all they wanted in this club was to hear, you know, uh, rock music that they could dance to and everything. And and how many times can you play, you know, uh, you know, (laughs) the, the same thing? I mean, we we had maybe 10 or 12 pretty good rock songs, you know by Grand Funk and some other, other, other groups, but, you know, um, it, it was not really what we wanted to be doing. And we called the agent the next day. And I, you know, I said, you got to get us out of here. They don't want us and we don't want to be here. So it's not always, you know, going to be perfect. You know, sometimes the agents mess up a little bit, especially ones that that don't work with you all the time, you know, and we had a couple of those and, in Canada that were like that, you know, that uh, thought that they knew they were going to put us in the right room and it didn't work out. But
0: Whenever you talk about those rooms where it seems like, you know, everything's just going to go wrong, like how often does that happen? Because that seems like it would be a nightmare scenario for somebody because you want to do like this certain routine. They say, no, 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 no. We we only want this. We want you to be a one trick pony. Like like how often did that happen? Because like I said, that seems like a nightmare.
1: You know, if you have a really good agent, and, and we were blessed, you know, by that. We had good agents in L.A. We had good agents in Chicago. And I I, I got to tell you this. We were some of the best rooms we ever played were mafia controlled rooms, you know, uh, like in Las Vegas and Lake Tahoe. You know, you're you're working rooms that that are definitely connected, you know, uh, and I'm not, not going to say that many in in Vegas that we or not we didn't do Vegas we did Lake Tahoe but we didn't really have that much experience there but the ones that we played in Cleveland and Ohio all over Ohio area uh, there's a lot of of those kind of rooms up there and I tell you what the best rooms in the business I mean they took good care of us we did our job that's what we were there to do and people would go in there expecting to see a show that's what they were most of them were really elaborate, really nice. Some of them were like a, like a, a cigar bar. They'd have that off to the side. you know. Dinner clubs, people go have a nice dinner, and they'd stick around and watch the show. Uh, those were the kind of rooms that we loved playing. And, and there were quite a few of those in Iowa that we played, too, that were pretty interesting. You know, We thought, well, what are we going to see in in Iowa you know a bunch of people driving in on their John Deere tractors you know and stuff off the cornfields or whatever but uh, no it wasn't that way at all man we were totally wrong with that one we we ended up playing some pretty neat rooms and uh, one of them was called a Bonte Rostrelli's. it was an Italian, uh, Italian restaurant and uh, I think it's still there and one of them I think it's in Warren Ohio if I'm not mistaken uh, I think that's where it is but my mer- memory serves me right but uh <laughs> I think we sound we found it on the on the internet one day recently that it's still still there. It looked a little different, but it's still there.
0: And that, that's always like cool to see. Like those those buildings that you have a lot of history with where they get to still stand and be what they were uh yeah. originally. So whenever you talk about all this and like you you know, you're you're talking about spanning these these years and dedicating so much time to it. What was it that brought you back to El Paso or what was it that kind of you know made you say, okay, and now I want to take a different direction because you mentioned a little earlier that you were managing a group as well?
1: Well, the managing part, all of that uh, actually with the three groups that I had on the road i I was the manager of uh, let's see two of them. the first one I wasn't the second one and third one I was and and basically all I was doing as a manager was, staying in touch with the agents and keeping the band booked and and, and working and everything and taking care of getting us paid and paying the guys and all of that, uh, from the standpoint of control of the band or whatever, we all had an equal say. We were never, uh, being controlled per se by somebody else that says, you've got to do it this way or whatever. We were kind of growing together and doing our own thing. Um, the last band that I managed, P.T. and the Cruisers, uh, that's been about three years now since since uh, that group has been together as that group. It was Patty Tiscareño. She's the P.T. of P.T. and the Cruisers. And uh, and so that's when I became a full-blown manager working with her and her band in, in one of El Paso's very best. They're all great musicians that are still playing. Uh, as far as coming back to El Paso to answer that question, uh, the main reason why we came back to El Paso was because my wife's parents and my parents were still living here. And we felt like, you know, we've done this for six years on the road. It was a, a great ride for most of it. And, but we thought, you know, we want to have a family now. We want to have, our own kids, you know, and and have that experience, and and have a regular doctor that we can go and see all the time when we need to, you know. And when you're on the road, that doesn't that doesn't happen, man. I mean, I remember like in Lake Tahoe when we were playing. One of those weeks, we all came down with the flu, and I mean, when that curtain curtain opens and the floodlights come on, you man, the show must go on. And I tell you that having a hundred 1 degree temperature 102 whatever it was you know and feeling like you know crud you know it was uh, but yet we still got up there and did it and uh you get tired of that after a while man you know you you do it for a long time and you, you know you don't have a place to hang your hat all the time so coming back to el paso was going to be special for us because we wanted to have a family you know, my wife and I wanted to have a family. Plus, we wanted to be with our our parents for the rest of their lives. You know, they were both getting up there in age. You know, all of them, and uh, and they've all passed now. But I wanted to be here uh, during that. You know, the rest of their lives, and and then raise our our own kids, which which we did. And now our kids live both live in Austin. When they graduated from UT Austin, they decided they they still love Austin, and they're still there. You know, so and we're here you know so but uh at times we've we've talked about what would have been like to, if we'd have stayed out in LA you know and i think if we had it I would have definitely stayed in the music business uh because i was i was being exposed to great musicians you know i studied with some some of the best in the business you know and it would have just i think escalated from there you know uh, I don't know if I would have ever been good enough to be um, a studio drummer, you know, working in a studio all the time, but I definitely would have done a lot more studio work because I really enjoyed doing it, you know, and, and I loved producing and making our own records and stuff. That was that was a lot of fun. Um, but coming back to El Paso was, was important. Uh, it was a very... Uh, it was like my wife gave me the opportunity to do this. We did it together. Now I need to do this for her and our families to come back here and and have our have kids and 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 be with our families.
0: So whenever whenever you first moved back to El Paso, because I, I I know how it was. Like whenever I was in the military, you move back to you guys, you get so used to a certain type of lifestyle. How hard was it to? one like stay away like say look I don't want to go back on the road I'm not going to do this anymore how hard was that for you and then what was it that you kind of started doing whenever you got back to El Paso
1: great great question um when I got back here I didn't really want to play my drums that much anymore um I did miss being on the road and performing in that that magnetism of musician and audience being validated, that was very, I miss that a lot. I really do. I miss the vocal performance a lot because I think that was really my best asset. You know, I was a decent drummer. You know, I I, I played okay. But but I think coming back here, I still wanted to sing. and And yeah, I got an eight to five job. And, and, and did it and learned and, and, and grew with that. But I also, when I started having kids in 1983, you gotta remember, I got off the road in 78 and we had our first child in 1983. And it was probably five or six years later that I still wanted to continue singing and so I'd be I auditioned for the uh, Bruce Nearing Consort, which was part of Pro Musica, Pro Musica, back when it first started. Pro Musica now is Zool Bailey, but back in the first part of Pro Musica, it was the Bruce Nearing Consort, uh, and that's who I sang with. And these were the the best voices of El Paso in a choir, and they they still are, you know. Uh, I was a part of that and loved it. Um, the only thing is my kids were young and, you know, I, I needed to, as I, as they got older, I needed to be there more there for them to help them develop and do things like my wife. She was always there as a room mother working with the kids, you know, in the schools. And we were always busy with PTA and doing all that stuff. And then as our kids get older and, and more competitive, we did the T-ball thing and the Girl Scouts and the Boy Scouts and Eagle Scout, science fairs, all of that stuff. And we wanted to be a part of that, you know, because you, you show me an active parent and I'll show you the kid that reaps the rewards of that. And that's how we wanted to be. We wanted to be that kind of parent for our kids and 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 make sure that we were always there for them and and teach them the right thing, you know, the right things to do, and and how to have respect for people, and and uh, you know, all the things that we need to do as parents, you know, and uh, you know, I'm sure you know the value of that, you know, because you are one, and uh, so that uh, that that's been a major part of our lives, and 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 our kids are still to this day, you know, I'm glad to say, because I know many. Many kids, once they leave the nest and go away, they're, they're doing their own thing. But, you know, we talk to our kids every day at least two or three times. And now with the COVID-19 thing and everything, we're we're doing more, more Zoom calls and Skype and FaceTime and everything than we've ever done in our lives, you know. So I got to say, from that standpoint, we're closer to our kids now than we've ever been. And we were always close before, you know, so...
0: Well, would you say that that's like the way that you grew up as well? Because I'll, I'll, I'll just equate it to like my personal experience. So whenever, whenever I left El Paso, uh, I didn't really speak to my parents. As a matter of fact, I didn't speak to my parents until, I mean, it might've been like four or five years after I had like, you know, set up and started doing my own thing. And the reason why I did is because I had a daughter that passed away and that, you know, whenever you learn like, Hey, my, my mother had something like that happen to her. My sister has something like that happen to her. It kind of brings you together and you think to yourself, like of all the time that you missed. So for me, there was like a lot of that regret there. Would you say that that's kind of the way that you grew up was like, you you already had those really tight family bonds.
1: Well, my, my family, without going too deep into this, my, my family upbringing was, was quite unusual. Uh, I had a mother that had, uh, she had issues, okay, and uh, with alcohol and, and and drug abuse because of pain that she had because of her, you know, of her medical situation. And so she was not the ideal mother that I would have loved to have had. She did the best that she could, you know, and, and so, yeah, you know, I grew up in that environment. Uh, it, it was a tough one, but I had a very caring father and a caring mother i mean they, they were both great parents don't get me wrong uh it's just that you know from an involvement standpoint uh let's say we're giving our kids a lot more uh, prime time if you will you know uh quality time as they're growing up and and being supportive of that and you know there might be a little bit of I don't want to say overcompensation, because I didn't have it as a, as a, you know, developing youngster. But I think at the same time, you, uh, you reap what you sow, you know, and I, uh, I'm, I'm just glad that we were able to do this and be here and, and and raise the kids that we did. You know, we they both turned out really great. You know, they were both achievers in school. You know, our daughter, you know, I mean, they both were in the top five percent of their class uh, our daughter just to give her a little selfless you know brag here a moment but you know our daughter was uh, uh, chosen out of the optimists they have a, a thing that they would honor the top junior and senior boy and girl in El Paso out of 42 high schools and our daughter got it as a junior year and my son got it as a junior year and then the senior year my daughter got it again. And she got top senior girl out of 42 high schools in El Paso, and that's they, ba- you know, basically meeting the criteria and everything that they had, uh, that the optimists had to to make that achievement. But I, I've got to say that because of the encouragement and everything that we gave our kids to be joiners, get a national honor, uh, get on the high Q team, you know, do you know all of the. Uh, Destination, imagination, you know, and, and compete with the other schools and learn what that's all about and and get self confidence and, and learn how to uh, interact and, and work with other kids, you know, on a team, you know, and the team concept and all of that, you know, and I think, uh, you know, and I got to say that with my son, you know, he, he became an Eagle Scout. I missed becoming an Eagle Scout by two merit badges, you know. And I think basically what got in the way was playing drums and girls, you know, <laughs> I didn't get my eagle and I wish I had, them, you know, but, uh, but my son did. And he, uh, it was great being on that ride with him because I was one of the assistant scout leaders. And so I went on the large 50 mile hikes over a two week period at you know, up in, you know, Timberon, you know, we're, we the, or the scout camp up there and, in, and in, uh, not Timberon in, uh, uh, up in New Mexico near Taos, you know, the scout ranch up there. And uh it was incredible, a great experience, you know, just being a part of that ride with him and, and, uh and growing with it, you know, and then you, you reap the rewards later, you know, you may not know it when you're doing it, but, I think over the long haul, when you finally got it, you know, then you think, hey, that was well worth doing.
0: It's, it's always time well spent whenever you get to spend it with your kids. And I will 100% no go on that.
1: <laughs> you bet, man. Take so- every minute you can, you know.
0: Oh, trust me. I I'm, I'm the youngest of 11, so I know what it was like not to have like a oh, wow. <laughs> quality time. So, now now I got two of them. I'm I, I think I'm going to be that dad where like I'm just there and they're going to get super annoyed, but maybe they'll appreciate it as they get older.
1: <laughs> oh, they will. But I'll tell you this, man. As they get older, uh it doesn't get it doesn't get easier. <laughs> but <laughs> but that's all right, you know. It cuz at times, you know, you wonder why i lost all my hair <laughs> oh it's uh it can be pretty trying at times but at the same time man I, uh, they're the greatest they really are two great kids and uh they do anything for us and we do anything for them and and uh you can't ask for more than that man yeah that's where it's at
0: so as as you look at like the landscape of everything going around here in like the city of el paso and the way that the city of el paso has evolved from you know you you know getting into music early on in and in, in your youth and then where it is now what's the music scene been like here has it been pretty stagnant has it grown like like what what do you see whenever you look at the music scene now
1: well the music scene now i have to compare it back to what it was in in, in my heyday i mean you know back when i was starting to play there were clubs all over El Paso, man, all up and down Dyer Street, downtown, you know, the Green Frog, the Yellow Submarine, you know. Uh, guy, you know, just the International Club, my friend Ron and Sue Gordon, uh, they had a club there called the International Club. A lot of bands played there. In fact, I had a, a, a guy reach out to me today that, uh, that texted me that saw my blog site, and, and he used to be part uh, of, of a band that was playing there. At the international club, and uh, and he's wanting to hook up with me a little bit and, and talk. So I, re- I, you know, reached back out to him and said, you know, we definitely d- will do that in a few days. Um, back then, there was a lot of places to perform and play. It was really great. Uh, now, for those of us that felt like we needed to go a step beyond that, and and there were quite a few of us that left El Paso to seek, you know, greener pastures. We wanted to go to the next level and, and be, you know, performing and recording. And, and you've got to go where the where the platforms are to see you, the other agents, the recording studios that would possibly pick you up and, and, you know, and do a record deal or whatever. So that's why many of us left El Paso to go out there. Bobby Fuller went out to L.A., you know. Uh, in in sixty you know sixty three in in in, uh, in many of us followed that that same path. It was either L A. or New York. You know those were the two kind of the hubs for entertainment and movie making and, and recording you know uh, music. So comparing that those days to now, you just don't see that many clubs in el paso now there's there's still a few you know maybe four or five that i can think of that have fairly regularly bands playing now there's some friends of mine that that do a one-man show and they still they'll still do that at a steakhouse now and then or like i've got a good friend named tim thompson and he's still out at the edge of texas and he'll perform out there you know he's been out there for many years and he quit for a while but he's back out there again, and because uh, he's and, and I haven't talked to him since I went out there. But uh, some of the members of the PT and the cruisers uh, went out there fairly recently and had dinner and saw him, and and I'm sure he's there again because he loves what he does. He's he's a musician, true blue, die hard musician. Will always be that way, and he's doing what he loves, and uh, he's also a music teacher in a high school here in town. I'm not going to get too personal with all that because I don't know if he'd want me to be saying all this everywhere. But the, uh, the whole thing is that the music complexion in El Paso has changed tremendously. Uh, I'm not happy about that. Uh, I would much rather see it vibrant like it was back when we had a whole lot of clubs and, and a whole lot of places and options for the bands to go and play, you know, uh, those were great times. That was a great period to be able to go from club to club and see bands and and uh, see what was going on and seeing the talent. El Paso had incredible talent for musicians. You know, when I did my Border Legends series, Michael, from we we started in 2009 and went to 2016. My last year, it was either 2015 or 2016, my wife and I figured out how many people came to El Paso to see our show. And we counted at least 25 different states of people that have left El Paso that, you know, but they knew we we were, you know, staying in touch by the internet and everything Uh, about. our annual show called Border Legends of El Paso. And that was pretty exciting for me to bring back a band like the Chains or the Henchmen or Rod Crosby and the Intruders or Bobby and the Premiers, some of these bands that, that you know, paved the way back in the days. And they really were great musicians, great bands. And these guys like the Chains, for example, they, uh, they hadn't played together in over – 39, 40 years, whatever it was. When I called Roy Penny and I asked him, you know, in Florida, I said, Roy, would you guys entertain reuniting your group and coming back to El Paso and, and play our show? And he got on the horn and called the guys. And one of them was up up near Santa Fe. The others were San Antonio, Dallas-based area. The other one was, you know, and he was out in, in uh, Florida selling yachts. That was his his job, his business. They came back to El Paso, man, and they rehearsed for a couple of days uh, out at the Almeida where we were in in the bar area. They closed them off in there and let them do their thing for a couple of days of rehearse, and they got up there and and hit it out of the park, and uh, it it was so great. And I just, the whole idea with that was that any of the bands that were going to play, I said, look, this is not about perfection this is not about being as great as you were back in the day because when you haven't played in 39 or 40 years chances are you're going to be pretty rusty you know but that being said many of these bands came in here and it it just seemed like they had been doing it for all these years I guess when you got it you got it you know And, and, and Bobby and the premiers those guys they got up there and they they really just did a, a, a yeoman's job. They just, they excelled. They really, and I think a lot of it was a, adrenaline, the moment that I was telling you about, that validation, that that magnetism between audience and performer. There's nothing like that high, man. There's nothing like it. Uh, when you get a standing ovation, people are saying, yeah, I liked what you did. You know, there's just, that is just the most incredible experience that an entertainer can have and uh and putting guys like that up on the stage to reunite and el paso supporting it we had to do it we had to do it as long as we could you know and and i wanted to go 10 years but it looks like eight was going to be our magic number too many things changed the venue changed Uh, my co-producer you know rod crosby he needed to think more about retirement and and so there was economics of doing this because it takes a lot of toll on you to put on a show like this. You know, it took me, it would take me a whole year to plan this thing and put it together, but, uh, but well worth it. And I'd do it again if I could, you know, but, uh, but in the meanwhile, I'm going to do my podcast and talk to my musician brothers. And yeah, and you said it's a, it's a wide a widespread there between talk and rock and, and, and that's kind of the reason why I chose that name because I want to be able to talk to anybody uh, if they have stories that will engage the public and uh, and bring inspiration and I think that's what a lot of my mantra is going to be is sharing stories with people that that matter that they want to hear the audience wants to hear these stories. I know they do. I know the musician stories will be entertaining and very uh, interesting. A lot of my audience is going to hear stories that they've never heard before. And if we can tell stories that will encourage and inspire future musicians to go and do what we did and do it better then God bless them. You know, that's, that's what I want to see happen. Uh, I think, um, other people, though, they need to tell their stories. And I've got so many great friends out there that have accomplished some major things in their lives and uh, and have had fun along the way doing it. And I've kept those relationships going with them. And I and I want to get them on my podcast and, and talk about those stories. And, and uh, it won't always be music. I'm going to say 80 to 90 percent of my stories are going to be music, you know. Uh, pointed towards music but i think if i can bring some other inspiring uh tales tales of lore <laughs> then we'll we'll do that too it'll be fun
0: so uh, I, i've got like a I, I guess a two-part question for you whenever whenever we talk about that because we, we spoke about the changing landscape in the uh city of el paso you know musically like, like with venues for places to go one how do we re Inject that life into the landscape here in El Paso? And then, secondly, what would you have to say to that young aspiring artist who looks around and sees basically a barren desert of, like you said, four or five clubs that might do something with you?
1: You know, El Paso is no different than any other city, except, well, let me back up with that one. We had so many great entertainers, musicians that left El Paso to go do bigger and better things, and and they did. And, uh, but I think every city's got good musicians. Um, if they don't have a place to be able to grow and, and, and show their talent, that is so sad. And now with what's going on with COVID and in our world, I mean, it's it's been a year now, almost a year that we've seen that, you know, like, South by Southwest in Austin, they can't do their things. You know, Coachella, they can't do their thing out in California. You know, we can't we can't see Austin City Limits at the Moody Theater in Austin now. You know, I mention all these things because uh, my son's a photographer for Getty Images. And uh, he hasn't done any red carpets or any shows. You know, he was photographing, you know, Paul McCartney and Willie Nelson and all these people on a weekly basis. You know, and this stuff is It's it's been drastically affected by what's going on in the country today, and and do we know when this is going to end? No, we don't know when it's going to end. But when it does, I hope the clubs can come back vibrantly again. I hope you know because I know the musicians they're going to want to play, they're going to want to still do their thing. That's always going to be there. Um, As far as what's going to happen in el paso i mean i've i've seen even before covid hit here i saw clubs dying you know restaurants are you know they're just they're not the showrooms are not not showrooms they're they're just they're they're more like a just a bar with a dance floor and i think a lot of this changed when the bar owners decided that number one they couldn't afford the musicians to play you know Of course, a lot of that depends on where you're at. I mean, like in Austin, because it's the music capital of the United States, you know, people, the bars there, I mean, musicians will go and play for free just to get the exposure and and, and, and develop the audience base, the following and everything. And that's what it's become. In Austin, it became that way, not to drift off so much away from El Paso, but... I got to tell you, in contrast, what other cities are doing in comparison to, you know, the the drastic difference here is that we've got musicians that want to make a living, uh, and when you can't make that much money, then there's there's a reason why so many musicians leave El Paso, you know, because the the whole the whole stage is you know changed as far as places to be able to perform and, and, um, you know, showcase your talent. Um, I I hope to see someday, you know, the good rooms again, I would love to see that in El Paso. I don't know if it'll happen. You know, I, I've, I've seen so many wonderful places that like, you know, when I was playing in college, the Knights club was one of the places to play in El Paso and, uh, but we, we were fortunate enough to be the house band that played there for you know almost my whole four years of going to college. I mean, what a neat gig, man! Be able to play every night, you know, and and uh, have a few brewskis and do your thing, and and you know, do your studies, go to school the next day, you know, come back and do it again. You know, it's just it it's it was a it was a neat gig, you know. But there's no place in El Paso that offers that today. You know, um, the band PT and the Cruisers that that I've referred to numerous times, one of the owners of that, you know, one of the members of that band, uh, Buddy Winston, he owns uh, a a really just great recording studio called Star City Studios here in El Paso. And they have a, a performance studio as part of that. They have three rooms, Studio A, B and C and uh, sees their big room they can put like about 120 people in there seated and uh, and and they can put shows in there and they've done a lot of them i booked about two or three of them in there and uh and besides the cruisers which they that's their home base now they they'll perform in there behind other entertainers that they want somebody to perform behind them or they'll just do their own show um and and thank god we've got that place you know that's a it's a it's a beautiful venue, beautiful studio, with first-class top-flight equipment. Um, it's 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 great that they are able to offer uh, a place for entertainers to come in. And we've had some really nice shows in there, and some of them are from out of town. You know, some fairly big-name entertainers, and uh, uh, do a nice job. Um, but it would be nice to see more rooms open up that serve dinner, that do shows. Uh, I I always wanted, if I ever hit the big time, you know, with the lottery, I would have loved to uh, put in a a really neat museum-like place that would have the history of El Paso rock and roll, a place to put up, you know, Dalton Powell's drum kit on the Bobby Fuller Four and, and just, you know, musicians that, have come and gone, but had a lot of uh, really neat memorabilia that could be put in there and and seen. You know, when any you know when whenever anybody wanted to go and, and you know check out the history of El Paso Rock. And then I would have loved to have had a performance hall attached to that museum, where two of them. I would love to have two performance halls, one for standing room only and one for dinner theater. You know, a dinner a dinner concert. Um, uh, you know, and one would be smaller than the other. The other would be on the, oh, the likes of say the Plaza theater, maybe a little bit smaller, uh, but, but still be able to seat about, you know, 1200 people, you know, and, and, uh, we just, we don't have that anymore. I mean, yeah, we've got the Plaza and we've got, you know, the Civic Center, you know, uh, and Abraham Chavez. And all that, but who knows what's going to become with that down there? You know, there's so much controversy and everything. Hopefully, that'll uh, become something better. You know, like they say it's in kind of dire straits. It needs to have a lot of work done on the stage and you know the performance hall itself. So um, I don't know. I guess we'll just have to wait and see, man. You know, go from there.
0: I, I I've often said I don't want to get like on the the political side of uh, you know what's going on with downtown El Paso and all that. Well, I've often said that there's that area that of uh, of a certain side of the town that shall not be named. It starts with a D. I'm sure you know where it's at. But I've said that since there's been so much damage done to those buildings right now, why not have like an outdoor clamshell, kind of like what they have in Boston, where you can have like that outdoor venue that can still also hold, you know, concerts and and like you could utilize that and build up the city of el paso because there's there's so much talent here whenever it comes to music but i don't feel like they have the platforms they deserve
1: you're singing my song michael why don't you go join uh go get get elected man we need you on city council you know
0: i i've Um, I've made the joke for the better part of like five years that i was gonna run for mayor and believe it or not i have like a whole crew of people behind me that want to do like advertising and 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 like all this stuff i have no idea how i will be a mayor but I feel like eventually it's going to happen.
1: <laughs> hey man, go for it. I'll be one of your head cheerleaders. No, I, I, I would, uh, I always, you know, I used to be on the El Paso historical commission and, uh, with Bernie Sargent and, and Max Grossman and, and a dear friends of mine to this day. And, uh, we, you know, we fought, we fought the battle and we, we, uh, we did great things and we, you know, continue to want to see things like that, uh, Grow in El Paso, but at the same time, I think what I would love to see happen downtown would be like, like we've seen in San Diego or in uh, Tucson or Albuquerque, you know, uh, like the Riverwalk, you know, with all of the history down there and everything that they've done. I would love to, you know, we could maybe never do it on that scale. First of all, we don't have the water to do it, but it would be great to have that whole thing downtown be a place where we could see ballet folklorico, you know, or we could see the history of Pancho Villa, you know, and, and all of our tremendous uh, El Paso uh, patrimony, man. We have such great historic patrimony here, and it would be so incredible to have a place where people could walk around and and, and see really neat shops, in restaurants with outdoor dining, and a stage like you said, where people could sit around and, and take in, uh, you know, uh, a a show, you know, uh, with a clamshell or whatever, like you said, and that would be really exciting, and and that would be the ultimate wish that I have for my for my city, you know, is to have something like that. Um, we we have such incredible talent here in this city and, and we're not using it the way we could be. Uh, and, and, you know, all they do is, you know, have a lot of issues down there and, and fight back and forth, but they're not getting it done, you know, and, and they could get it done if, if we had the right people in there really, uh, rally, you know, rallying and, and, and really doing it, you know, and, uh, I think we've got some, some great people, you know that are still on on the council and we've got a new mayor and uh we'll see how he does you know he was there before and and I I have a lot of respect for Oscar Leeser. you know he's been a client of mine for years and and uh I have a lot of respect for him so we're we fingers crossed that we can get some things happening down there we've got some exciting things happening with the historical registry and everything that's that's just taken place and uh, We'll just see where it goes from there. You know, I, I hope we can see this thing uh, develop into uh, an old town, El Paso. You know, we certainly have the infrastructure and we have the talent and we have the uh, herewithal to make that happen.
0: I, I mean, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what happens. But the one thing I know needs to happen is we need to inject that life once again into the, the, the music and the arts that we have here in El Paso, because like you said, we have so much talent here that needs to, that, that deserves to get those highlights and get those recognitions and get those gigs as well.
1: Good. Yeah. Good, good point, man. Yeah, we really do. And, you know, hopefully it'll happen. We keep our fingers crossed, say our prayers, you know, and, and, uh, you know, never, you never know, but, uh, we got, we've got people that are on the front lines that have, uh, some tremendous energy and, uh, we just have to keep supporting uh, and, uh, and see how
0: it plays out. Rick Kern soon to be dropping his new podcast, Talk and Rock Radio. I'm looking forward to that. Like, uh, I, trust me, I could make this a three-hour podcast if we wanted to, but I will not do that to you. Uh, I'm sure you've got a life that you would like to get back to as well. Uh, <laughs> where will the podcast be whenever you drop it? And, of course, where can people visit and look at some of the stuff that you've done as well?
1: Well, the first thing I'm going to do is get hold of Jackson Polk over at, <laughs> you know, Jackson over at El Paso History Radio and have him give me some selfless plugs and Barbara Gibbon Bainey with her, you know, history site on, on, uh, on Facebook. And, and of course I'm going to reach out to all my Facebook friends and everything. And, you know, I'm going to let, I'll be letting you all know for sure, man. And, uh, it'll be on Facebook. It'll be on YouTube, probably uh, iTunes, Spotify, you know, all of those. There's a whole bunch of them. And uh, I'll be working with a hosting group that will uh, spider it out to all the social platforms that there are out there. And, uh, and you know, hopefully everybody will like what they see and hear and, and subscribe and tell their friends, you know. And, and if you like it, you know, tell the world. You know, I've already got... Uh, a friend in ireland and he's all excited about it and he wants to be a part of it in fact we're going to do an episode together because he's a he's a bass player with one of the uh, the top bands in the uk they're called the urge a little selfless plug for the urge but they are an incredible uh cover band they are ireland's number one wedding band they play like five or six nights a week for weddings and they play it all man they do like Everything from Toto to Bobby Fuller to Johnny Cash to, you know, you name it, they do it all, man. Freddie Fender, they uh, they're a neat a neat group, and so uh, you'll be able to uh, hear about what's going on. But if you like what you hear, just tell your friends. You know, I I really believe in this project, and I want to see it happen, and uh, and and I can't do it by myself. I'm going to need a lot of support out there, but. I think there's going to be some fellow podcasters like yourself that are going to like it. And hopefully I can do some guest appearances with them and they will be doing some with me. I've already got some of those already lined up. And uh, so looking forward to doing that, but next time you see me, it'll uh, look a lot better than it does right now. I'm just using a little cheapy led light. I got my ring light coming in on Friday. So this studio is going to start looking more like a real studio here pretty soon. So.
0: When I tell you that ring light changes lives, it makes me look pretty. It can make anyone else out there look pretty. It's
1: yeah, pretty. man, you look great. I mean, <laughs> your, your skin tones are great, man. I look like a red lobster, man, you
0: know? <laughs> <laughs> we, we should have waited for that ring light, but I got media. I apologize.
1: <laughs> That's all right. We can do this again, man. I don't care. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Rick, it's been an absolute pleasure, my friend. And uh, I'm looking forward to the next time we do this. Time. Of course, I'm looking forward to the launch of Talk and Rock Radio with our guy, Rick Kern. Rick, thank you so much.
1: Michael, you rock, my friend. Thank you, man, and, and love you. See you around, okay?
0: sir. Sure.